Welcome to The Legal Lowdown. I'm your host, Diana Baudet. Schools are often faced with issues that can develop into full-blown crises. Severe weather, disease outbreaks, technology breakdowns, violence, to name just a few. Today, I'm joined by public relations expert Greg Perry and education attorney Matt Plain to discuss how schools can prepare an effective communication strategy to mitigate a variety of crises. Welcome to the podcast, Matt and Greg. I'm glad to have you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Diana. Great to be here. So let's jump right in. Can both of you share some situations in which schools would benefit or need a crisis communications plan? Sure. It's probably helpful to start out by thinking about what is a crisis and why would you even want to think about a crisis at a school level? But it's really any kind of an event that could damage the reputation of your school can turn into a crisis. And it's the kind of thing that can happen suddenly. Or There are also crises that build over time. So kind of thinking about that to begin with is important. And it's probably easy to think about what the kind of crises are that might happen, mm-hmm. right? As you kind of talked about, um, weather events can certainly become a crisis. There's violence in schools that can become a crisis. And in today's day and age, obviously, pandemic has become a crisis in schools. But there are a lot of other things that can become a crisis that you might not think about, but yet really deserve and need to have some communications to students, to their families, to the school committee, and to the public in general. And those kinds of things are stuff that you may not think about, but can happen. Okay. What kinds of things? Well, I'll talk about some real-life examples of things that I've had to deal with on behalf of schools uh, in southern New England. So, for example, would you ever think that a teacher would put a cell phone camera in a boy's bathroom to take pictures of little boys? had to deal with that situation at a public school in Massachusetts. That's awful. Right? Yeah. The kind of thing that you don't want to think about. Yeah. How about a teacher that posts racial epithets on social media, which then becomes a lightning rod for a community? Mm -hmm. Those are kinds of things that you don't think about every day that that can certainly turn into a crisis and can impact your school and the reputation of the school for more than just a fleeting moment. Yeah. And when I think about severe weather, for example, and you mentioned how that can unfold as a crisis, when I think of schools that I've witnessed, it's not even the weather itself that's the crisis. It's almost how the schools react to the situation that becomes the crisis and really starts to cause the firestorm. Have you faced a lot of issues with that where schools just don't react in the best way that they could and a disaster starts. Yeah, that that's absolutely right. Um, You know, one of the classic examples of bad weather creating a crisis was in, in Providence, probably going back now to about 2007, 2008, when a winter storm came, suddenly the school buses were out and about and they got stuck and parents didn't know where their kids were. And it wound up costing the superintendent and the head of emergency management in the city their jobs because it just wasn't handled correctly. It's better to be transparent and to over-communicate than to try and hide something and not communicate. Okay. Okay. Matt, what are you thinking right now? What do you see? Well, I'm glad you guys touched on all the 
extremely relevant and important points in a component of it, which we're starting to get into, is the potential reputational harm also has, like you alluded to, Diana, potential operational impact, health and safety impact. And those things arise out of the lack of a good and effective communication plan. So the less the stakeholders of a school or a school community know about something, the more likely it is that the school and the school community will sustain impact negatively on the other end. And of course, attendant to all of that is what Greg highlights is transparency to the extent that it is appropriate, correct? Sometimes the public, and I love the public, I'm a member of the public, sometimes the public confuses transparency with getting to know everything. But as Greg aptly points out, that's not getting to know everything, that's getting to know the things you can and should know so that it will help you. Well, that's right. And the whole idea in a crisis situation when you're communicating is to really to do three things. First, you want to position your school or superintendent as the go-to place for accurate and timely information for everyone. You want to maintain the confidence in your school and your organization of the stakeholders that you have, which is why you need to communicate to them. And then it's important that you also want to limit anxiety for those key stakeholders and key audiences by keeping them informed about what they need to know, what they might need to be doing at any point in time. And while speed is really important in these situations, so is being accurate as well. And so we want to make sure that we're being accurate. And it doesn't mean that you have to give out all of the information. You want to make sure that the information that you are giving out, though, is accurate at any point in time. Okay. This is raising two questions in my mind. One, are the responses or the stakes any different between public school district, private school, charter school? And my second question is, how does social media help and or hinder, and I would think it's probably a little bit of both, in that transparency, in that spread of communication? Because the social media component of it is something that has kept us lawyers pretty busy since Facebook came out uh, and busier with Instagram and Twitter and the various other social media outlets. So Greg can get deeper into this than us attorneys, but it's extremely important that, well, social media, one, is an effective way to get out a message, right? And that can be positive. Uh, It can also be challenging if, to Greg's earlier point, it's not done accurately. And that's why it's vitally important that you have a communication plan that outlines precisely who and who cannot speak officially on behalf of the school. And of course, anyone connected with a school has the ability to engage in protected speech and a school, public or private, wouldn't seek to limit that, but a school certainly can limit who gets to speak officially on behalf of the school. And that's like what Greg says, you want the superintendent, the head of school, the executive director, whoever it might be in your particular type of school, that person or her or his designee to be the official person to get out the accurate and timely information about any potential issue. 
So that's my soapbox on the social media component of it. I'll let Greg fill in with everything I missed. No, well, I don't think you've missed anything there. I mean, I think in terms of the stakes, right? You asked if it if there are different stakes depending on whether it's a public, a private, a charter, what have you. And and really the stakes are amongst the audiences. I mean, it's all about the reputation. It depends on whether or not, you know, if in a public or a charter setting, whether it's it's the school committee or the regulators, whether it's the Department of Education that's taking a look at what's going on and wondering what this school is doing and how they're handling it. At a private school level, it could be, what are the donors thinking about? You know, what are the alumni and the trustees? And how is this, the way that the crisis is being handled going to impact that going down? And it doesn't have to be a a big or a long plan, and it shouldn't be, because you're not gonna read 20 or 30 pages of a crisis plan when a crisis is happening. But it should be a well-defined who does what, who is the backup to who does what, what's the process, how do you gather information, and then what channels are you going to use to communicate? If you have those kind of things put together ahead of time, you have a roadmap, and you are able to take that roadmap when you are in a crisis situation and and deal with things. Okay. And who who sits down with the schools and helps them put together that plan? Is that somebody like yourself? Is that uh, a lawyer? Is that a combination? Oftentimes, it's a combination of both. Um, we tend to work um, very closely with lawyers um, in developing crisis plans and, and in handling crisis situations. You know, it's about kind of getting all of the pieces in one one place and and figuring out what are the you know, who are the people that are going to be key and how are we going to get them involved? What are the different levels of a crisis? Because not every crisis is at the same kind of level, right? You know, the um, situation, God forbid, of an active shooter on a school campus is different than a, a situation in which somebody posts something negative on social media. They both have the opportunity to impact the reputation, but how you deal with it is going to be a lot different. Okay. And the, I would assume the urgency as well of how you deal with it. <clears throat> okay. And I'd like to work with folks like Greg and the Perry Group on communication plans, particularly when there's not a crisis underway and folks can think critically and they can think without, to the extent feasible, uh, distraction on putting this together. And then the attorneys can help move the plan that Greg helps with the substance through the process. So it might go from an internal administrative committee to the chief executive of the school. Then the chief executive makes a recommendation uh, to the governing body, whether it's a board of directors, trustees, or a school committee that's done in some sort of session, open session, so that the stakeholders are there to provide input and then folks are apprised of what's contained in it. And then you know where it is when the crisis eventually unfolds. Because I hate to say this, but if you're a school, you're going to confront a crisis at some point. And you don't want to be scrambling. You're going to be scrambling to a certain extent anyway. The things that can be controlled in advance, control them in advance. And this is a critical aspect of it. And here's the here's the thing, though, with all of that said, 
having a plan is is great and it's key, but having a plan and letting it sit on a shelf and gather dust does you no good, right? So it's the kind of thing where at least once a year you have to take the plan out, review it, make sure that it's up to date. And if you have the opportunity to, to run a tabletop drill with it yeah. so that you know how it all works. And, you know, those are the kinds of things that we, you know, help uh, some of our clients do. We build the plan and then we run them through in a drill scenario situation so that everybody kind of gets a feel for, you know, what happens when, um, when that bell rings. Yeah, that's a great point. And Greg, pinpoint something that we see in education all the time. There's access to great content uh, through the internet, through professionals, all through affinity groups, but without professional development, it can be meaningless. So you have the plan, it goes to the appropriate channels, and then spend time and energy to ensure that your professionals are, are ready and they know what's in it and they know how to react. Okay. So can you share with me any mistakes that you've seen in some of the school's plans that you've come across or anything that you've come across that has worked very well that may not typically be considered? The big mistake in the plan is a plan that's too long. Yeah. We kind okay. of talked about out of the box because if you if it's too long, it's not going to do you any good. Nobody's going to have time to use it. The second thing, going back to understanding what's in it and making sure that it's it's frequently updated. You know, one of the things that, you know, could be a, a real hurdle or a stumbling block, and we build these into our plans, is even on how to make a social media post. Everything from the URL to the login information, the passwords, and you specifically spell out how you go about posting something so that anybody who has to can do that. The same thing for updating a website and how that all gets done, because those are all important and key channels that you, you have to have to know where things are and, and how they go. So having all of that stuff at your fingertips is key. The mistake that people make is in thinking that it's going to go away if they ignore it and they don't respond to things or they don't return a call from a news gathering organization. That's when things start to spiral out of control. And oftentimes that uh, is when folks like Matt and myself get called in after that initial bad story is out there. And, you know, then we have our really have our work cut out for us. Okay. Yeah, that's such an interesting point because I would think there are some situations where an administrator might think the best thing to do is to not respond. So is that a pretty basic, I don't know if you can do any kind of black and white rules to this. Um, there's probably a lot of shades of gray, but is that a good basic tenant is always respond? Well, I think, and Matt and I may have a difference of opinion on this, Lawyers tend to want to not respond oftentimes, but I think that you are always able to respond in some way, shape, or form. You don't have to get into the specifics necessarily, but there's always something that you can say beyond no comment or I'm not going to talk. Okay. Do you have some suggestions? 
Well, you want to talk about things that, you know, you're doing, you know, it may be that we're, we're concerned. You want to, depending on what the crisis is, you need to express uh, empathy or sympathy with what's going on. You need to let people know that you are cooperating with the authorities that are helping you to get through and deal with this. And at the end of the day, you can, you can talk about what your school ethos is and what is the, the mission and the core values that your school has? Those are all things that aren't going to get you in trouble for talking about, but allow you to put some of what your school is all about into the discussion so that someone else isn't framing what you are all about. Okay. That's great advice. Greg's right that um, perhaps lawyers will have a slightly different opinion on things like that. Think inherent in his polite and professional comment is that lawyers are type A control freaks that like to have absolute authority over each and every letter and word and sentence that goes out. Uh, but I'll qualify all of that with uh, it depends, and that's another famous response of lawyers. Uh, but we will be looking at things like okay, respond, but let's make sure that the response doesn't admit liability. Let's make sure that it stays within the bounds of the permissible parameters with respect to student or staff privacy considerations. And sometimes I find, or we find in our arena, that out of extreme caution that some school administrators or professionals might take that as, I don't really know what I can say, so I'm not going to say anything. So I'll take on behalf of the profession, some of the credit for some lack of response from time to time. And that's why it's extremely important that you're working with professionals like Greg, so that you can do this in a way that's going to, like you said, uh, maintain transparency with your stakeholders, staying within permissible parameters, so you don't exchange one problem for another. That's right. And any good communications person that you're working with understands that, you know, there are a lot of issues that are out there that the lawyers have to think about. You talked about, you know, some of those, Matt, liability being at the top of one. And I'll tell you that we work uh, hand in glove with lawyers and understand that the legal strategy always trumps the communication strategy. That's not to say that we can't have a heated and uh, good discussion about that and both get our points across. But at the end of the day, the legal strategy has to rule the day. Okay, interesting. Matt, you touched on privacy. Can you both share your thoughts on just some basic rules of privacy that schools should always keep in mind and that may not be? Sure. With students, it's easy. If it involves a student record, a basic rule, you can't share it. Uh, if there's something that happened and it's happened very publicly, can you reference the incident? Of course, uh, you can reference that an incident occurred, but getting into the components of a student's record or the unique challenges, let's say, that a student may face, that would likely, in the normal course, be outside of the parameters of what you could share. Similar with a, with a staff member, there is likely going to involve some personal and confidential employment information that you wouldn't be able to share. And that's different depending on whether it's a public employee or a private employee. But 
again, if there's an incident and the incident is known and is out there in the universe, then the school can reference the incident without necessarily delving into the intricacies of somebody's employment or somebody's education. And that's the why we need to work with the communications experts. So we strike that balance where we're staying in adherence to our legal obligations, but we're communicating as transparently as we can so that we don't create chaos on the other end, create fear and uncertainty, and buy ourselves operational challenges and problems on other fronts. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Can you highlight for me anything that COVID-19 has brought about that's changed the landscape in terms of crisis communications? Or you know, has it just been, nope, smooth sailing ahead? See, everybody, you should have had a plan. I told you. <laughs> or has it highlighted a change in how you basically put out your plans and work on them? It hasn't really changed it necessarily. What, what it has brought to the forefront are different kinds of issues that are out there that school committees have to deal with, right? So for example, do you, every single time a child is diagnosed with COVID, need to tell the entire community or faculty member? And, you know, at what level is that communication? Is it just within the building? Is it beyond that? And, you know, those are questions that at the beginning of the pandemic, when schools reopened, were difficult because schools wanted to become or wanted to be as transparent as possible and probably erred on the side of providing more information. Whereas now that we are six months into this back in school, it's probably not as newsworthy as it was in the beginning and not as much of a need to necessarily go community-wide with it. It's certainly still in the building and how students are impacted is, is important to communicate. The other then, you know, school committees, especially right back at the beginning of um, going back to school, had a lot of union issues to overcome, right? And those in and of themselves can create communications challenges depending on where the teachers union ended up coming down on things like a distance learning and um, video learning and things along those lines created challenges for a lot of school committees and in districts that required some very intricate communicating with parents um, and students. From my person, all of that is spot on. Uh, one thing that I've noticed since March of 2020 is schools have got a lot of practice at communication strategies, and they've improved significantly. Being a school, being an educator, administrator, public or private in the school setting, it's hard. It's hard on a good day. I can't even imagine how hard it is during this crisis. And on top of the vast responsibilities that these folks have, they now have to communicate to not just the school community, but the entire community about what's happening within the four walls of their buildings. And on balance, they're doing a nice job. And are they doing a better job in February of 2021 than they did in April, May, or September 
of 2020, sure. Uh, they've got practice. They've honed their skills and their plans. They've worked with professionals like Greg and the Perry Group, and they're doing a nice job of it. And utilizing this experience to develop plans for addressing crises going forward is, you know, that's going to be one of the silver linings that we get out of going through things like this. We're better equipped to deal with things on a going forward basis. Yeah, that's a great point. Just going back quickly to the social media perspective, Greg, I understand what you meant about having the appropriate person speaking out on social media and being quoted for the school. Does the school run into any issues around commenting on social media? You know, comments that they get in on their pages or to their posts that run afoul of typical rules. Is that a risk for schools or is it, you know, as long as they're on the straight and narrow and what they're posting and putting out, they're okay? Well, it's always a risk, right? Anybody can post on, or a lot of people are able to post on different social media sites that you don't have control over if they're public and wide open as a school site likely would be. And so that's important for the school social media administrator to be you know, watching what's going on and things that are not appropriate to whatever the circumstances need to be be dealt with. But there also may be legitimate questions that come through on social media regarding a situation and they need to be addressed appropriately, but not just by, you know, the seat of your pants that need to be discussed and need to be understood and what the ramifications are of answering that social media post and how it's going to be answered. And it may be that the answer simply is to engage with that individual offline in a way in which you're able to have that conversation that's not happening in the social media realm but it's happening one-on-one to be able to answer those questions. Each case would be obviously different, but you don't want to have social media sites that aren't being monitored on a regular basis. Okay, that's great. Matt, do you have any input on that as well? Yeah, do what Greg just said. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Uh, Definitely monitor it. And a challenge I've seen is when, the social media administrator will engage in a less than productive exchange through comments. And then one of the comments will be standing alone, won't be obviously relatable back to the original post taken out of context. And then again, you have a new challenge on your hands. So being mindful of responding, particularly when it's a legitimate question and doing it not only appropriately, but in the appropriate setting. Okay, thank you, that's great. As schools look to the remainder of the school year, what do you both recommend that they keep a particular eye on in terms of communication? It's thinking about those things that you probably um, don't realize are going to become a problem, right? So right out of the top of my head, things that I think of that are gonna become an issue for which communications are going to be vital, are school budgets, right? Because COVID has decimated school budgets in every community. And so what is that impact going to be as school committees start to deal with that in the next academic year? Are programs going to have to be cut? 
And how are you going to talk about that? Are teachers going to lose their jobs or are there going to be other you know, job cuts as a result of that. That's a big area that I think is is coming up that's going to need a lot. And then this discussion, and it's a policy discussion too, but, you know, there's this thought that kids for the last year have lost a year of their education and their academics. And how long is it going to be before somebody wants to hold somebody's feet to the fire about that? And that issue is certainly one that could come up and likely will wind up in litigation at some point. Somebody's going to take that route. Um, so those are things that you want to think about. And at least, you know, right now, it's thinking about what is out there that's a potential to happen. Maybe not tomorrow, but it's three, four, five months down the road. It's always looking around the corners and seeing where things are going. Matt, you have a, a thought on that? Yeah, along those same lines, uh, we frequently make recommendations on risk management strategies to schools. And an understandable response we get is, that's great, but we don't have the time, the energy, or the resources to do that. And that's in peaceful times, or relatively peaceful times. And a response that we give, I hope politely and professionally, is, if you don't have the time and the energy and resources to put something together now when it's relatively calm, just wait until you actually confront one of these challenges because the time, the energy, and the resources will necessary to address it will grow exponentially. And you can mitigate that to a certain extent by preparing in advance. Absolutely. It, the best time to build a crisis plan is when you don't have a crisis. It's to get those people together. It's to be thinking about it now. And so that when something happens, you have at least thought about it, if not being ready for it. All right. Great advice. Thank you both very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Diana. It's been great being here with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed the time. Great to talk with you as always, Greg. You as well, Matt. Thanks. Greg is founder and president of The Perry Group, a public relations firm in Providence. He served as communications director to U.S. Representative Robert Weigand and as chief spokesman for Attorney General Jeffrey Pine. And he's held leadership positions with some of the foremost communication firms in New England and Washington, D.C. For more information about Greg and his firm, please visit his website at perrypublicrelations.com. To learn more about Matt or for more information on the many legal issues schools face, please visit our website at bglaw.com, or you can find us on social media by searching Barton Gilman. The content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal advice or to form an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to seek legal advice from a Barton Gilman attorney, please visit us at www.bglaw.com or call 888-273-9903 for more information. Barton Gilman serves clients throughout the Northeast with offices in Boston, Providence, and New York, offering legal services in a wide variety of matters, including medical and other professional liability defense, premises liability and business litigation, education law, employment, family law, insurance coverage, trust and estates, 
criminal defense, corporate formation, and intellectual property. The firm and its attorneys have received numerous awards and accolades, including Best Lawyers, Best Law Firms, Best Places to Work Rhode Island, Outstanding Philanthropic Business, the Common Good Award, and Super Lawyers. For more information about Barton Gilman, please visit our website at www.bglaw.com or call us toll-free at 888-273-9903.